His uneasiness had been growing ever since they had passed over the brow of the cliff and had lost radio contact with the scout car. In this day and age, to be out of touch with one's fellow men was a unique and unsettling experience. It had never happened to Jerry before in all his life, even aboard the Morning Star when they were a hundred million miles from Earth. He could always send a message to his family and get a reply back within minutes. But now, a few yards of rock had cut him off from the rest of mankind. If anything happened to them here, no one would ever know, unless some later expedition found their bodies. George would wait for the agreed number of hours, then he would head back to the ship alone. I guess I'm not really the pioneering type, Jerry told himself. I like running complicated machines, and that's how I got involved in spaceflight. But I never stopped to think where it would lead. And now it's too late to change my mind. They had traveled perhaps three miles towards the pole, following the meanders of the riverbed, when Hutchins stopped to make observations and collect specimens. Still getting colder, he said, the temperature's down to 199. That's far and away the lowest ever recorded on Venus. Wish we could call George and let him know. Jerry tried all the wave bands. He even attempted to raise the ship. The unpredictable ups and downs of the planet's ionosphere sometimes made such long-distance reception possible, but there was not a whisper of a carrier wave above the roar and crackle of the Venusian thunderstorms. "'This is even better,' said Hutchins, and now there was real excitement in his voice. The oxygen concentration's way up, fifteen parts in a million. It was only five back at the car, and down in the lowlands you can scarcely detect it. But fifteen in a million, protested Jerry. Nothing could breathe that. You've got hold of the wrong end of the stick, Hutchins explained. Nothing does breathe it. Something makes it. Where do you think Earth's oxygen comes from? It's all produced by life, by growing plants. Before there were plants on Earth, our atmosphere was just like this one. A mess of carbon dioxide and ammonia and methane. Then vegetation evolved and slowly converted the atmosphere into something that animals could breathe. I see, said Jerry, and you think the same process has just started here. It looks like it. Something not far from here is producing oxygen, and plant life is the simplest explanation. And where are the plants? mused Jerry. I suppose you'll have animals sooner or later. Yes, said Hutchins, packing his gear and starting up the gully. Though it takes a few hundred million years, we may be too soon, but I hope not. That's all very well, Jerry answered. But suppose we meet something that doesn't like us. We've no weapons. And we don't need them. Have you stopped to think what we look like? Obviously any animal would run a mile at the sight of us. There was some truth in that. The reflecting metal foil of their thermosuits covered them from head to foot like flexible glittering armor. No insects had more elaborate antennae than those mounted on their helmets and backpacks, and the wide lenses through which they stared out at the world looked like blank yet monstrous eyes. Yes, there were few animals on earth that would stop to argue with such apparitions. But any Venusians might have different ideas. Jerry was still mulling this over when they came upon the lake. Even at that first glimpse, it made him think not of the life they were seeking, but of death. Like a black mirror, it lay amid a fold of the hills.
Its far edge was hidden in the eternal mist, and ghostly columns of vapor swirled and danced upon its surface. All it needed, Jerry told himself, was Karen's ferry, waiting to take them to the other side, or the Swan of Twanilla, swimming majestically back and forth as it guarded the entrance to the underworld. Yet for all this, it was a miracle, the first free water that men had ever found on Venus. Hutchins was already on his knees, almost in an attitude of prayer. But he was only collecting drops of the precious liquid to examine through his pocket microscope. "'Anything there?' asked Jerry anxiously. Hutchins shook his head. "'If there is, it's too small to see with this instrument. I'll tell you more when we're back at the ship.' He sealed a test tube and placed it in his collecting bag as tenderly as any prospector who had just found a nugget laced with gold.